You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Great joy and contentment. Alan John- <laughs> Alan Siler. <laughs> what? <laughs> threw me off. <laughs> well, I don't know what to say after that. <laughs> and Veronica Dashiell. <laughs> Oh, wow. It's going to be a fun one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's it's already starting out off the rails. (laughs) All right. Well, did you want to kick it off with some news? Got some news for us. Okay. First of all, uh, Paramount Plus announced today that they are launching 18 linear themed channels, Mm. including 24 hour streams of Star Trek, SpongeBob, Paw Patrol. There's a channel called Black Voices. There's one for two different ones for reality TV, two different ones for animation, one a kid's channel and one's an adult channel, classic sitcoms, history and all kinds of other things. Hmm. Wait, Um, this is on what? What is this on? Paramount Plus. I missed all this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm literally stunned what you're saying. I literally missed all of this. Well, okay. Well, the, I mean, it's it's literally from like a few hours. Wait a minute, you wow. liked to the Facebook post? <laughs> all it. I saw, all I saw was that's so funny. All I saw was the stuff about Discovery. So I don't know how I'm missing all this other stuff. You know well, how they can good, get it. It's a good wow. thing we have a news segment then, so that yeah. you can learn about these things. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, Viacom, the parent company, um, owns. Pluto TV, and this is uh, sort of an adoption of the Pluto model, where it's, um, for now, non-commercial, like non-ad, just streaming of episodes. There's no, like, on-demand or anything. It's just, like, old-fashioned television streaming of episodes, but grouped thematically. Mm -hmm. Um, And other other services have been doing sort of a similar thing. Peacock uh, does this on on their service. They have a Saturday Night Live channel and a sports channel and all this kind of stuff. So I'm a a big fan of this development. I don't know how much I would actually use it, Mm. but I think it's cool. I think it's cool. So does that mean that you have to pay for Paramount Plus to see these? Yes. Okay. So how is this any different from just going and streaming any of those things on Paramount Plus? Uh, If you're streaming it, you have to decide what to watch. Mm -hmm. If you turn on one of these channels, they decide for you. I see. This is for the super lazy people. (laughs) Exactly. If you just want to put on a stream of Star Trek episodes while you're ironing clothes or something, you just turn it. I mean, I do that with Pluto. I turn Pluto on just to see what Doctor Who episode they're showing right now. (laughs) And And I'll let it play for a while. Um, but this one, I, I checked this afternoon when I was turning on to watch Discovery, and uh, the Star Trek channel was currently showing uh, a big, long stream of ep- um, Enterprise episodes. Oh. So, cool. Yeah, and it, the interface looks to me just like the Pluto TV interface, but I, I, 
I checked it earlier and they were the Star Trek channel on Pluto TV and the one on Paramount Plus were playing different episodes. Yes. At the time. Yes. So it's right. not just so, Pluto TV ported over. No, exactly. So, if you already have Paramount like Plus like I do, does this do anything for me if I'm already paying for it? Yeah, if you want to randomly watch episodes yeah. that are streaming. Sometimes it's fun to just turn it on and see what's on TV. Right, exactly. Um, okay. And there's a lot of channels on there. Like there's the mm-hmm. the classic TV channel, I don't remember what it's called, but it yep. it could be The Adams Family followed by something else, followed by something else. Right, right. Okay. Television classics, there's a sitcom yeah. channel, um all kinds of things. So, you know, and it's it is I think it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know how often I'd use it, but it's it's neat. Okay. Wait, one of the ones was like SpongeBob channel, wasn't it? Yes. Was that it's what you said? The SpongeBob universe. So it's SpongeBob cartoons <laughs> plus any related show to that. Well, you don't have to watch it. That's <laughs> I mean, that's where your choice comes in. You see, you but don't Sponge have to Bob turn it on your brain. Yeah, I don't I don't think that you're the target audience for that. Channel. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no. I've got a good friend who's the the children's <laughs> lead at the my local Barnes and Noble, and she's a big SpongeBob fan, so she got the end of this. <laughs> and her brain is far from rotted. I can uh, confirm. Okay. All right, so moving on, our my second news story tonight is uh, comes out yesterday, the day before, and it's that Amazon Prime Video is going to be debuting Shatner in Space. This happens on December 15th. It's a one-hour special documenting Shatner's life-changing flight to the edge of space. So that's kind of neat. Yep. You know, we get to, we get to see um, the, the journey and Shatner's reaction to it. I think that'll be a nice thing to, to see. Yeah, I'm surprised they waited this long after, because they obviously were planning on this for a while. Why did they well, wait so like long to weeks. announce it? Yeah, I mean, it takes time to edit. Well, yes, but not, compose not, not music. be like, hey, this is going to happen. Anticipation. Oh, well, that's oh true. yeah, that's true. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, now it's like, I don't know, maybe a Christmas present to us all. <laughs> or yeah, they didn't yeah. know how fast they were going to edit it. Well, that's another thing. Yeah. Maybe they had to wait until they got it done to a certain point. And they're like, oh, we know we can get it out by the 15th. So. <laughs> I think it's pretty neat. Conversation for another podcast yeah. is... I personally still think of William Shatner as the face of Star Trek. I know a lot of people, especially young people, think of Spock as the face of Star Trek. I have always thought that Kirk is the face of Star Trek because it was about humanity going out into the universe. Mm. And Spock is one of the people that humanity met. Now, William Leonard Nimoy in real life and William Nimoy in like the Abramsverse movies is a symbol of Star Trek. For most people, for a lot of people, but the reason I'm saying all this, Alan, is I think it's so neat to see this program about this because this is to me Kirk, and Kirk to me is still the face of Star Trek. So as corny as it sounds, I love seeing a man who's 90 years old, whatever, going boldly, who mm-hmm. went boldly in the 60s. He is Star Trek to me, and I just think it's awesome. I actually mm-hmm. can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I was I'm tearing ex- up when I watched him do it when he came back. So he teared yeah, up, right. I teared up. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Me too. All right. And I've got one more thing. And this actually isn't news as far as it being like a, a new thing, but it's new to me. And uh, as of tonight's discovery, we've had two episodes in a row where my beloved bridge crew has been completely sidelined. And uh, so last week I went looking for uh, some stuff a, a few months ago. 
um, maybe six months ago, we talked about um, Oyen Oladejo and Patrick Kwokchun uh, booking a, a film, and it's called Six Guns for Hire. And it's sort of like a train robbery kind of thing. And so when I didn't see my beloved bridge crew on last week's episode, I thought, you know what? Let me go see what's going on with that film that Oyen and Patrick did to see if I can see it anywhere. So I looked it up on IMDb and I found that it won't be out until next year, probably June. So I haven't missed it. But I did discover that Oyen has another series that she has been working. And it's called um, Endlings. It's on, it airs here on Hulu and it's a co I think co-production with Hulu and uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Company. And uh, it's in its second season. Um, it, well, this past year was its second season. Uh, first season and second season debuted in January of the last two years. So maybe next month we'll get a third season. And Oyen plays a woman called Abiona. Uh, this this show is set um, in 20, I think it's 2041. And uh, Abiona is a, a woman whose family had founded a wildlife preserve in Zambia. And she's an animal activist and she's caring for the last living elephant. Wow. And yeah. The and last uh, living so, elephant. Interesting. so it's it's this story that uh, an alien uh, is they find this alien uh, in a crashed ship. And what happens is this alien collects the last of any species like around the galaxy or whatever. And so it's trying to collect this one last elephant, Tuco. <laughs> and I, I've, I mean, it's, it's a kid's show, you know, it's more for like a, an early teen, you know, older kid kind of audience. But I've really enjoyed it. I got completely sucked into it. And um, I'm almost done with season one. And um, all the alien creatures that this alien has collected are all done in CGI. But they have a fairly decent CGI budget and some really creative creature designs. Hmm. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And, and Oyen is wonderful in it. And she, you know, has a much bigger role in this than she ever has or will have probably in Discovery. So um, I've been on that journey this past week, and I'm going to be looking for some other things that um, the other ones, Patrick and, and the other ones have done as well to see what else I can find of them. What is awesome. the show called? It's called Endlings. Endlings? And an, an endling is the, the end of their line. Hmm. So it's a creature that's the last of their species or last of their race. I'll check that out. That's a pretty intriguing premise. Yeah. 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 I've, I've enjoyed it. So watch it as like with, you know, your younger teen eyes, but <laughs> you know, don't expect it to be discovery, but I, I've really enjoyed it. Wow. Okay. So I, I thought I'd share that with our listening audience in case yeah. they were missing. Oh, just as much as I am. And would like to see Oyen and something <laughs> else. <laughs> That's it for the news. All right, Keith, did you have some This Week in Trek this week? Uh, I certainly do. Got a few things for This Week in Trek. Uh, first, I'll do a couple of, I don't want to end on a sad note. So in This Week in History, we lost two people, both in 2019. First on the 5th of December, and this is real easy to get. He is most famous for a line where he says, I want to stay, 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 stay. <laughs> and I know you know what that is, and I know Alan knows what that is, right? I don't know what that is. I do. Okay. I knew Charles would know. Alan, you know what that is. That was is. a pretty okay. good rendition of it, too. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. Before that, uh, Alan, he goes, 
when I came aboard. You said you liked me. <laughs> they don't oh, like you. Oh, you can't oh. touch them. They don't love. <laughs> okay. Mud? No. No. Okay. What, what you got, Charles? It's Charlie Evans. Yeah. Charlie X. Uh, yeah. Robert Walker Jr., the great actor, uh, died on December 5th, 2019, who made such an impression on... He did a lot of stuff other than Star Trek, of course. Everybody back then, he was in Westerns and things like that. But he was famous as Charlie X, one of the scariest people. I read something very interesting that this show, that episode, Charlie X, was filmed just a couple of years after It's a Good Life, yeah. which y'all may have seen with Bill Mooney from Lost in Space, who also played a young, evil kid with incredible powers. And of course, a lot of people in Star Trek worked on Twilight Zone, so there's probably some crossbreeding. Some people also may know that Robert Walker Jr. is the son of the actor Robert Walker, who is most famous for playing the psychotic killer in the Alpha Hitchcock thriller, Strangers on a Train. Mm -hmm. And if you ever look at those two, you can see they look alike. They both have crazed eyes, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I would rather um, deal with Charlie than Anthony if I had to choose, though. Anthony was pretty scary. Yeah, he was. He was a creepy one. The other death that we lost, the other person that we lost um, also in the in um, 2019 was Rene Bergeois. And mm -hmm. obviously yeah. he needs no introduction. I first noticed him on a sitcom called Benson, which I think some mm -hmm. of you may be familiar with. Uh, a super long-running series. Uh, I think it went on like a decade, starting the late Robert Guillaume. And it's funny because that was my exposure to a version one. He played kind of a fussy, silly, critical man. And so when he was Odo, it was hard for me to say, wow, that guy on that sitcom is going to play Odo. And of course, he did a phenomenal job. And doing the six degrees of separation, another person who was a regular on Benson was Ethan Phillips, mm -hmm. who went on to <laughs> play Neelix on Voyager. Yeah. So they got to work together again. Awesome. Yeah. And then some birthdays that we had. Um, well, this is an obvious one. December 9th, 1952. Real easy. I am not to marry man. Borf. <laughs> yeah, Good right. Job. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Michael Dorn, who is, I can't, this is amazing. Michael Dorn is 69 years old now and wow. does not look it. No. Um, yeah, I remember the guy back when he was on Chips. And boy, has he done a lot of work in his life. Really interesting guy. So yes. the reason I remember that quote is because there was this picture of all of the TNG cast as My Little Ponies, and he's stomping his hook <laughs> saying, I am not a little pony. And, oh, my God. Okay, and, you and need Q, to see this. And because cute, because, um, oh, man, why am I forgetting his name? John Delancey. John Delancey. Yeah. He was the voice of the dragon. That was like the bad guy trickster who was basically Q. Um, so it was it was really hilarious. And that's why I remember that quote is from My Little Pony. I'm glad that you remember <laughs> from something other than Star Trek. <laughs> okay, so let me get this straight. Veronica SpongeBob will rot your brain, but Star mm. Trek Little Pony characters? No. My Little Pony has very educational values and they teach a lesson each episode. <laughs> Especially My that's Little Pony great. Friendship is Magic. Okay. You're not going to win this fight, Keith. <laughs> I know, right? I've never seen my little pony. Okay, another birthday on December 10th, 1919. Oh. At the end of World War One was the late, great Alexander Courage. Wow. Nice. Yeah. And Veronica, you know who that one is? Nope. Wow. Uh, let's see. I can't. Okay. Ooh, 
da 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 da. Okay, did that wow. tell you anything? Nope. <laughs> okay, he Amazing. wrote the song for Star Trek. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And he, I mean, I knew that's what that was, but I was like, how is that related <laughs> to a yeah. human? Yeah, at least I didn't try to do it as a theremin because then you really would have yeah. covered your ears. He wrote the theme for Star Trek. He Alexander Courage is one of those guys. He his resume is just way too long to go into because he wrote the theme for original series. He did work for the Next Generation. He worked with other um, other people to do music for the Motion Picture, some of the episodes. X-Files, uh, Star Wars, Twilight Zones. His, he just has a really long resume. One thing I thought was interesting is some of the episodes that he actually scored for the series were When No Man Has Gone Before, which was the second pilot with Gary Mitchell, The Man Trap, which was, I believe, the third episode film, but the first episode aired, The Naked, Naked Time. <laughs> which, <laughs> wow. <laughs> which is wow. a, a great one. And Mud's Women. Now, there's two things about that that's interesting, it's, it's especially as those old, those of us old heads who watched the original series know that very little Star Trek music was original after the first series, <laughs> uh, the first season, which is why so many of the songs like Amok Time and all these battle things and everybody from The Simpsons to, to uh, Seth, Seth, Ro Seth Meyers and Seth Rogen and all these other comedians, Seth you hear them. And Seth McFarland, thank you. That's right. the other Seth I was mentioning. <laughs> all the That's Seth. why you all you always hear them mention something. You always hear them kind of mocking the same kind of music. And a lot of the music that became known as Star Trek music from the original series was was Alexander Courage. And then he had a very interesting thing where Gene Roddenberry, who was a very mercenary guy, no criticism, <laughs> found out that you can make money if you write lyrics to a song. <laughs> so without telling Alexander Courage the theme music to Star Trek, the original series, Gene Roddenberry went and wrote lyrics to that song, which were never sung on the series. But because he had lyrics, he ended up getting credit for it. And there's a lawyer that Gene Roddenberry had named Larry Maislin, who a lot of mm -hmm. people hate to work on the show. He called Courage and said, well, look, you signed some paperwork and Gene now wrote lyrics and now you're gonna have to split all the profits 50-50. And after that, Courage didn't wanna work on the series for a while and it was only Robert Justman, who begged him to come back. And when he came back, he scored two additional episodes, The Enterprise Incident and Plato's Stepchildren. Hmm. But um, absolutely one of the most famous you know, music creators we ever had. And incredible theme. I mean, if you think about the Star Trek theme, you think about Star Wars, you think about the X-Files, you think about the Twilight Zones, just some of the most memorable music of any series, science fiction or not. Oh, yeah. Two more birthdays. This is another good one. Also on December 10th, 1928. Another easy one. I can, you can do a million things, but I'll just say this. I respect you, Captain, but this is war. A game we Klingons play to win. Core. I don't remember the other ones. <laughs> I, I, had, I had a one in three chance of getting it. There's Kang and there's Koloth. Oh, right. Kang. You're, Koloth. No, you're, no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Wow. You got it. <laughs> that was the late John Colicos who starred, who played who, the first Klingon. Was uh -huh. oh no, never mind. Uh -huh. I was gonna, I was gonna say, was it the one with the fighting camps and the the people and they stabbed each other and the I don't remember. That, that's Kang. That's Kang. Okay. That's Kang from um, Day of the Dove, 
And this is, you're correct, this is core from Errand of Mercy, which introduced Uruganians and introduced the Klingons for the first time. Introduced, I would say, probably the most enduring protagonist or antagonist in Star Trek, the Klingon race. Um, John Colicles uncle, for those who know, was very famous playing Baltar in the original Battlestar Galactica and just had a huge, 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 huge resume also as an actor. One of the interesting things was when they had the second appearance of Klingons in the original series, they wanted John Colicles to come back, but he had a prior engagement for another movie and he wanted to come back desperately because he loved playing Kor, but he couldn't come back. So they went and hired Michael Ansara to play Kang in The Day of the Dove. And for me, Kang is still, to me, the quintessential Klingon, even though Kor was the first. I just love Michael Ansara's portrayal of Kang. But we end up having two really great Klingons because Michael, uh, because Kalikos couldn't come back for his uh, for a second appearance in Star Trek. Mm. And one more I think I want to do is, oh, you got to mention this. In December 6th, in 1979, is the premiere of Star Trek, the motion picture. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. I would say one of the most, I'd say it's probably, it may be the most divisive Star Trek movie we've ever had, even outside the Abrams first movies, only because people either seem to love it or hate it. And really it boils down to, it's an awesome movie and it's pure track and it's pure science fiction, or it's the most boring thing I've ever seen and I can't stand it and I will only watch Star Trek from the Wrath of Khan forward. So what do you guys think about that movie? I love it. Um, it's different, but I absolutely love it. Yeah, I love the motion picture. I liked it when it was 2001, A Space Oddity. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Space Odyssey. Odyssey. <laughs> David Bowie, <laughs> A Space Oddity. <laughs> How about you, Veronica? Did you ever see it and did you like it? I mean, I've seen it. It wasn't my favorite Star Trek movie, but it wasn't the most boring one. Mm. <laughs> it was the Ray one review. where we parodied it and... As with for a puppet show when we bombed, yeah. So <laughs> we did. did. You bomb? Wow. And we, we were with the very wrong audience yeah. for that show because oh, the next guy up was like doing a stand-up thing. Was like, oh, Worf has a watch for a sash. <laughs> Not, and then they were <laughs> and they were cracking up. So okay. it was very much the wrong it. audience. Well, you'll get I a chance it. to see it again when the um when the director's edition comes out in 4K. And that's yeah. supposed to be on Paramount Plus coming out in 2022. Mm. Ah, there you go. Another Paramount oh, Plus thing. <laughs> I thought you were making a joke. I thought you were saying, we'll no. get to see your performance again when it comes out in director's cut. <laughs> no, Chuck cut will never do that again. That, that I've tried to get him to do it. Again. <laughs> never again. And that's this week in Trek. All right. Well, we got a, a few pieces of feedback I wanted to touch on real quick. Yes. Um, our longtime listener, Bill, sent us an email again. I haven't heard from Bill in a while. Hope you're doing well out there, Bill. Uh, he's responding to uh, our little uh, detour we had in our Thanksgiving episode talking about Star Trek V. Uh, and he wrote to let us know that he saw Star Trek V in the theater and he was disappointed with the ending. But he's seen it again with Rift Tracks and thought that was a lot of fun. So if, yeah. if anyone out there doesn't like Star Trek V, Bill recommends the Rift Tracks version. I can't do Rift Tracks. I don't care how much I hate the movie. Yeah, I know. Really? I, I can't. I cannot stand people talking over the movie. <laughs> it drives me up a wall like... Rocky Horror is like borderline for me just because I watched the video. I didn't experience it. So I, yeah, drives you up a wall and other people talk. Yeah, it's just like no matter how many times I've seen a movie, it's very hard for me to watch the commentary mm. along with it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I wind up trying to shush the people who are talking. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then we also had uh, some feedback via Facebook from a new listener by the name of Anthony. And he wrote to tell us that he's a lifelong Star Trek fan who grew up in the original series and the films. And then when the pandemic started, he buckled down and watched all of Star Trek in chronological order from Enterprise and Discovery, the original series, all the way up through Picard. Um, and <laughs> now he's obsessed with it Been listening to the official Star Trek podcast plus investigates. And then he found out that he has an old college friend who has a Star Trek podcast by the name of Veronica. Yay! And Yay! Now he's listened to all of our episodes, so I wanted to give a shout out to Anthony. Say, you know, welcome, and I hope you keep listening. Absolutely, thanks, Yay. Anthony. Nice Yay, to meet you, Anthony. And keep participating. And Veronica, if you can get all your other old college friends to to listen to, that'd be great. Yes, I've been trying. Awesome. Okay, good. Veronica's recruiting <laughs> one person at a time. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to say is Anthony's my buddy because um, I did a stream of consciousness response when he he did, and I sent this I sent this long butt thing, and I and I just threw all these questions, and he came back and said, "Boy, that was a long uh, response. I'll get back to you." And two days later, he sent a response longer than my original question. <laughs> it was awesome. It's met his match. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Well, if anyone else out there wants to send us any feedback, you can get us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can email us at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll take a quick break to promote a fellow ESO Network podcast show. Then when we come back, we'll get into our discussion topic. So stay right there. Okay, promo for the Flopcast. Let's go. First, I need an adjective. Uh, naked. Need a noun. Wombat. Place. Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Number. Uh, 251. Okay then, the Flopcast is a naked podcast about cartoons, music, comics, movies, and wombats. Find us on the ESO Network and Flopcast.net. Go ahead and listen to it in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. <laughs> 251 times. All right. Now, this week, we decided to have a discussion of the most alien aliens in Star Trek history. I think Keith suggested this topic originally. Originally, yeah. Yeah. Keith, what was on your mind when you suggested the most alien alien? Because it's it's so hard because when you when you talk about Star Trek, it's like if somebody asks you, what's your top 20 Star Trek shows? It's almost impossible to think of the top 20 because there's so many excellent ones over 50 years. And it's kind of the same thing. I was just thinking about it one day about aliens on Star Trek. And I was just thinking, gosh, what are the most interesting, memorable and alien aliens we've ever seen? And I thought almost it was impossible almost to limit it to a list. So then I just thought about what would I consider and what is what is alien? Is it something that looks completely differently from us, which I actually think is not really the case a lot of times. That's when Star Trek talks about. Or is it something that is so completely different from how we even think, as in mm -hmm. you almost can't even communicate with them. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're completely outside our experience. So that was just making me think about what are the most interesting aliens of Star Trek that aren't necessarily that look differently from us, but act differently from us or even mm -hmm. come from as Spock sometimes said outside our galaxy. Yeah. So what is your suggestion for the most alien alien? If you had to pick one off the top of your head, the one I think of, and this is such a weird one. Do you remember the, the next generation episode called the lost? And it's the yes. episode where the, the enterprise gets basically tugged into a wake, the awake of something. Yep. And the entire show, the enterprise is getting pulled toward and I always get these mixed up cosmic stream or quantum filament. 
just like Troy, I, I can't remember which, basically the ship was going to be destroyed. <laughs> and what they found out was that the ship was caught in the wake of a group of of a bunch of aliens that were literally two-dimensional aliens, one hundred percent two-dimensional. They even had this cool little graphic where they, had, I guess, a probe and look from above. You'd see the Enterprise, and it was a wake of all these aliens around it, surrounding it like like um, like creatures in a whirlpool. And then they rotated the ship from edge on, and they completely disappeared. Mm. And that was fascinating to me because I, I spent a lot of time reading about like, relativity and stuff like that, and the concept of two-dimensional beings is often used to describe the fact that we may have higher dimensions, like four dimensional beings and fifth yeah. dimensional beings. Right. And that was just fascinating to have beings that literally did not exist in three dimensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the most aliens I'd ever seen. And at the end of the day, they were going to the quantum stream because they were headed home. It yeah. was going to destroy the enterprise, but they were just basically being pulled toward that. That was just right. a fascinating group. They never even communicated that, with them. That was conceptually based on the novel Flatland by mm. Edwin Abbott. From the 1800s, so yeah. Yeah. it's 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 sort of it sort of teaches mathematical concepts in a mm-hmm. narrative way. So if right. anyone has not read that novel, go go read oh, it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that was a pull from Emory Allen. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Well, don't sound so yeah, surprised, read- Keith. <laughs> No, I I read the book. Um, I haven't known many people who know of the book. Like I know people who know the concept, but that's cool that you pulled the book. I don't remember the name of the author either. I will say that having worked at Barnes & Noble for 12 years and at the library (laughs) for seven years, it comes up on summer reading lists all the time. So I'm annually reminded of the existence of that book. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Okay, I have one. Okay. Tholian. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Which one? The originals or the ones as they've been re- redone in re- more recent um, series and movies? I don't know. I only know the original ones. Yeah, they came back on ah. Enterprise and then America mm-hmm. Darkly, yeah. the CGI version. Oh, I probably wiped that from my memory. <laughs> but yeah, the Tholians are, pr- are, pr- are pretty wild. Um, yep. Yes. Very unique alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because aren't they, aren't they, they're actually spider-like right and on they're crystalline they on enterprise yeah, on enterprise yeah. they're spider line they're crystalline aliens right they have a completely different structure from ours and i thought that yeah and they live in really high temperatures mm. that was the other thing mm-hmm. temperatures yeah. that would literally burn the flesh off of us yeah yeah re- really interesting effects that they used originally to create them um both right. the voice and just the look i i love i love the things yes. i would love to to see them back again yeah absolutely yeah one of the best episodes of the original series, especially I think that was third season, which was the one that gets much maligned. And the, yeah, the fact they were arachnid-like was that's why it was called the Tholian web. The web was kind of an expression of the fact that they were, but yeah, they were really creepy. And you're right, Charles, it was, you know, by our standards of really primitive special effects, but they somehow work. Mm. They still work even to this day. I love the Tholians. Yeah. And they are truly alien because I also think that they don't have a gender, if I remember I think they don't have a gender. They're arachnids, and they live in temperatures that would burn the flesh off of our bones. And they're and they're very, they're also very strange alien because they don't have emotions like we seem to think of emotions. And that's why in the original series, when they started attacking the Enterprise, Spock even said, "Ah, the renowned Tholian punctuality," because they think very differently than humans. So yeah. I think that's a good pick. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of them being crystalline. You makes me think mm-hmm. of the crystalline entity from mm-hmm. Next Gen, 
Yeah. Um, which is, and of course, then that leads me to encounter at Farpoint with the big <laughs> space jellyfish. You know. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I love the the big cosmic creatures. Yes. You don't agreed. get those a whole lot, but when you do, they're pretty cool. The Gormagander was another one. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, the Gormagander, yeah. Yeah, which has a, <laughs> it has a great name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Ten Man. Yeah. Uh-huh. From the Next Generation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like the crystalline entity was really interesting, Alan, because um, one of the things they never established, which I thought was true Star Trek, is it killed, but they never established that it was evil. And that was when it when it came back, when there was a second episode where the lady who had been on the colony where data was created, mm-hmm. when she came back and she, her goal was to kill it. Yes. Picard and all of them were basically saying, you don't know that that thing is evil. It literally just may be feeding. Mm. And that was it. Um, also, Next Gen from the first season, and this literally just occurred to me. So I don't remember the name of the was it was it Home Soil? The one where mm-hmm. they encounter a life form that's so different that it didn't register as a, as a life form and it lashes out at them because they're harming it and they don't realize they're harming it. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the few good Troy moments in season one, you know, <laughs> ends with her saying, you know, we, we think you're beautiful. All life is beautiful to us. Yeah. And, and it was that they didn't recognize it as life at first. And that Those was the, the that was the the bags of mostly water. <laughs> that's episode. a great line. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's the most memorable right. part of that episode. Exactly, which makes makes you realize that we are as alien to them as they are to us. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What I loved about that episode too, Alan, was so cool because we talk a lot. People talk a lot. There's this thing um, called the um, there's the thing called the Fermi paradox. You may have heard about, which is why why if intelligent life exists out there in the galaxy, why haven't we heard about it? Mm-hmm. And then there's another thing called the Drake equation, where this is equation that shows that the, the the possibility of life in our galaxy is extremely low. And that episode, Rick, based on what you're saying, it's one of those that makes me I don't worry about the fact that intelligent life exists in the galaxy because I think assuming that it would develop like we do where it can develop radio is incredibly egocentric because you can have life literally as intelligent as we are that lives in the ocean and it's never going to develop electricity. And the reason I say that is those beings lived in a very thin layer under the soil on that planet. They didn't have cities. They didn't even live in the oceans. They didn't even cover much of the planet. They were in a little thin layer of soil and they just didn't pay attention to them. It's kind of like with the hoarder. They drilled right through them. Right. They were destroying their world. They had no clue. And if they saw them, they were like, oh, well, whatever, you know, thin layer of soil, maybe some microbes. Mm-hmm. That was intelligent life, completely yeah. alien that they did not even know. Yeah. Mm. And the horda is another obvious example. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yep. I was thinking more, though, for for the original series, I was thinking more of one that we talked about not too long ago. Cat's and that's. Cat's paw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of my other ones. Uh, I don't remember oh, what I'm they so were sorry. called. I'm so sorry I took it from you. No, that's but, okay. But it's I got into first. The little puppet characters at yeah. the yes. end of the episode uh, was one of the earliest examples that we have of completely non-humanoid alien life, and I was, right. I'm just, I'm still fascinated by that. Yeah, that's me too. Part plant, part crustacean. They're mm-hmm. very interesting looking little creatures. Yeah, yeah. Well, how about the Melkotians? From Spectre of the Gun. Ooh, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yes. To, to sound snide, the only thing I like about that entire episode. Yes. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Melkotians are cool looking, though. They, they, yes. they look like a floating head. 
Yeah, yeah. Yes. But they were scary. When I was a yeah. kid and watched that episode, when the, when he comes out of the, out of the fog, mm-hmm. and then you know we were talking about voices. Boy, they sure did some voices. For all I know, that was James Duhon. I don't know who did that voice. <laughs> but you're right. He does that. But he does that alien. It was, um, yeah, that was, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, um, when you're talking about James Duhan and you're talking about that immediately brings up the animated series and we get all <laughs> kinds of non-humanoid life forms in the yes. animated yep. series. Yeah. They get really creative with their yes. alien life forms on that show. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. I love the, the ones in eye of the beholder. Um, yeah. They have the, just like the, the, the prehensile trunks that yes, and they're I love telepathic them. and they put it, everybody in a zoo. <laughs> I love, I love that episode so much. Yeah. Oh, is that the one? Oh, that's the one where they bound up a little kid to the ship, and he actually learned everything about the ship in like a, a few minutes. Yeah. And mm-hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, that was a good one. I also like the um, the plant creatures in um, the Infinite Vulcan, uh-huh. the Phylosians, yep. because the Phylosians, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. they were great. Yeah, yeah, because we don't, we don't see a lot of plant based beings in Star Trek. The assumption pretty much is that everybody's going to be um, carbon based. based. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's easier for the makeup. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I mean, otherwise you'll this end up true. looking like Dr. Smith on the carrot planet, you know? Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the other thing going back to, and the other thing going back to life, not being like we know it in the novelization of that, the infinite Vulcan, Alan Dean Foster did the, those, what's the name again, Charles? I keep blanking. The Phylotions. Because they were plants, they didn't develop vocal cords. Like, animal-based beings would. And so they actually had electronic devices inserted into their bodies that amplified their voice because otherwise mm. they could barely make a sound because they were plants and they didn't necessarily need to make a yeah. sound, which That's I thought a was cool kind detail. of cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder why they would have developed that technology, though, because exactly. it, it seems they would have like found other ways to communicate, like some like sort telepathy? of telepathy yeah. or yeah. some <laughs> kind of sign language of some sort. Keith, yes, did, did they develop it or did uh, Stavros Nicholas develop it when he got there? I think Stavros did. Okay, I that makes sense. Think, yeah. yeah, I think Stavros did. Although what they had developed when he got there, I remember, was they had developed a space fleet mm. because they were, they were going to go out into the galaxy and conquer. <laughs> yeah, that's Everybody. why they needed that giant Spock. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> what else did you have, Veronica? Murph. Murph. Oh, a good, good one. one. Murph. Oh, yeah. didn't even think about that. A, a yeah. recent addition to the canon. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes you think of two of the Medusans as well. That's right. Yeah. Well, Carlos from the original series and then Zero from Mm -hmm. Discovery. Or not Discovery, Prodigy. (laughs) (laughs) There's too many of them now. What what was the one that was in um, Lower Decks when they were on Little Risa and it turned. The Vendorian? Yeah. Yeah. The Vendorian was a cool shapeshifter. Right. Yeah. Sort of tentacly. Veronica, you, you had another one though, didn't you? Okay, I'm going to say this all wrong. Species 81742. That was so close. <laughs> That's like a zip code. <laughs> She's been practicing this all week, folks. 8472. 8472. There you go. I don't know why I thought there was a one in there. No. I loved them. Yeah. They were the too. first completely CGI creature that we had. Mm. Well, acting creature that we had in Star Trek, if I'm wrong. Um, and I loved it. It added such yeah. a, a whole new dimension to you know, what you can encounter in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. And they, they came from that weird fluidic space. So there was just everything about them was just different. And they had biological ships. Yes. Yeah. They were a good addition. 
they could exist in outer space. And I think the doctor said what I thought was so cool, their, their DNA was something on the order of 100 times more complicated than human DNA, hmm. which is why when they did the standard thing, when they turned Harry Kim into a victim, they were, one of them cut him and the DNA was their uh, DNA was overriding his DNA. And he was really close to dying because of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I've always loved them too. I wasn't crazy when they brought them back with that weird thing where they were trying to mimic earth environment, but I do no, love that. I didn't that. like, but I did like when that, when the, um, um, the hunter guys, I just blanked on their name. Herosian. Oh, the Herogen. Herogen. I love when the, yes. the Herogen was chasing one though. That was, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. That was great. Cause he was turning on them. Yeah, this is a topic we may have to revisit when we have. We're gonna have time. to revisit this. Yeah, one. yeah, because that, there's, there's a, a, a a lot to go into with these. But these, this has been fun, though. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Um. So let's let's take a quick break to promote our fellow ESO Network podcast show, and then when we come back, we'll get into uh, the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. So stay right there. And welcome to Cigar Nerd Summer. It's hot outside, time to fire up the grill, and of course, fire up some stogies. You know, the beaches are open, and movies are back. So now, we're going to be coming at you with brand new movies, and also, brand new cigars. So, break out your tank tops, fire up the grill, lay out your beach blanket, and make us your summer destination. CigarNerdPodcast.com, also on the ESO Network at ESONetwork.com. I thought you were being vacation for a minute. <laughs> I was trying to do like the original series. Yeah, <laughs> I got it. Sound. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it sounded like a cat. <laughs> y'all, you know, y'all got to get some Phillips Hue bulbs or something and flash r- red in the room when you do that next time. <laughs> right. All right. We got the spoilers because this week we're talking about the new Discovery episode, All is Possible, uh, which just came out this week, the fourth episode of the fourth season. And not real sure. There's a lot of big things to talk about in this one. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Where should we start? <laughs> I mean, there's there's four story threads in this one. Yeah. Um, yep. So I think the, the the more well, there's there's two really important ones. The more important one to me is the uh, the reembracing of the Federation by Navarre. Yeah. Right. So can yeah. we? Let's start with that. I really enjoyed that one. This is very I did too. Star Trekky, you know, diplomats, you know, trying to hash something out. And mm-hmm. just serialized shows, they don't have the plan when they start. They make them up as they go along. But I love when they're <laughs> mm-hmm. able to tie back into early things in the show to make it feel like there was a plan there. So, like <laughs> for instance, Burnham, you know, you know, being a half of her childhood. Yeah. With humans half her childhood with Vulcans and then here a thousand years in the future she's using that yes to bring Navarre back into the Federation because she's mm-hmm. uniquely qualified to be there almost as if that was going to be the story all along we know it wasn't but I thought uh, it's just a great use of her backstory and you know tying her specifically into the story I I, I, I agree I totally I absolutely loved uh, well, I love this whole episode, mm. um, but I really enjoyed. I, I, I would almost have liked to have seen an entire episode that was just this. Yeah, um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I loved the negotiation. I loved the uh, the headbutting over the compromise, mm-hmm. and I loved um, 
Burnham and Saru's solution. And I also loved, you know, as much as we, you know, got the the very specific use of Burnham's background being applicable to this situation, I also really loved getting to see Saru move more into that ambassadorial uh, sort of negotiator role. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. good. Very good. And that's actually in my notes because we've all been talking about the whole they brought Saru back just to mm-hmm. make him a first officer, even though he's actually a captain. And we would have liked to have seen him do more of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. The whole time I was thinking, I actually like Saru as captain, but I think he's a great ambassador. Yeah. I The whole time I said the same thing was, no, this is a good usage of Saru. And as mm-hmm. a matter of fact, I wouldn't mind if they made him. I always thought in the next generation it was weird when you have the flagship and they go out and negotiate treaties and, and settle wars. It was the captain and then Troy, they go read a law book or something and try to settle things. I never understood <laughs> why, the, why the flagship didn't have an official ambassador. Yeah. Um, Saru, Saru could be that. You know, he yeah, could be absolutely. just actually an ambassador. He was he was great in this episode. And is Saru about to get his groove on? What was that all about? I, I love him and Tarina. I thought the same thing last year. They just have great chemistry together. Yeah, they do. But when wow. at the end, when she asked him to stick around and have tea with her, I thought, when she said, Saru, you know, come to my quarters or whatever it was she said to lure him in, yeah. <laughs> that she was going to say, I want you to stay as the Federation's official ambassador to Navarre. Mm-hmm. Like, I, that's what I thought was going to happen. Mm. And I thought, this is a this is perfect. This is the best way to make use of Saru's character this season. Yeah. Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. I just thought T was a euphemism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Burnham had a little smirk on her face when they walk when they walked away. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm oh, wow. I'm looking forward to seeing how Burnham will handle being a political figure because mm-hmm. she is not the yeah. type to settle for BS at all whatsoever. Yeah. I like that she's you know, she seems to be a little more tempered this season. Mm-hmm. She's yes. not yeah. the she's not the half cocked you know, we got to take action right this second kind of thing. She is much more measured. She has a much more, well, dare I say, logical approach and a much more (laughs) calm approach, much more thoughtful approach to these situations. And I'm really enjoying it. Oh, yeah. And and again, I love the portrayal of Navarre. I love all the Vulcan architecture. I love those Vulcan uniforms. The the new ones that have the cool shoulders. Oh, the, 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 the one guy who had the black uh, sort of leather kind of uniform yeah that was amazing i want that yeah i i love i, I hope they just keep going to navarre because i'm really i really, I I really like it there <laughs> let's just call it star trek navarre right i'm fine with that yeah <laughs> well i thought it was funny that that sh- that um she had actually is it tarina 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 yeah tarina i like that the president Rillick said that basically she was the one who had tipped her off to the difficulty yeah. of the negotiations, mm-hmm. which I think, which I think is really cool because there aren't any really bad people, bad guys so far, even the president. I mean, the Admiral got sick and couldn't show up, which I thought was interesting, but I, I, I love the fact that, you know, we're, you're, you're trying to rebuild the Federation after generations, if not centuries of distrust. And so it, it reminds me again of a show that Alan and I've talked about. we love so much is enterprise. Mm-hmm. And we see the, the humans becoming, in one, in my opinion, one of the most organic ways I've ever seen humans becoming organically in the center of trying to bring all these races together in enterprise and creating what became the Federation. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of some of the difficulties that enterprise did there. Yeah. So I, I love seeing stuff like that. And there are a lot of parallels with enterprise. And mm-hmm. then here we are a thousand years later and the same sort of things right. having to go on again. 
um, which is something I think the, the riders have picked up on as well because we get several enterprise nods as we've gone along this season so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Now we Agreed also that. had Book and uh, Culber. We had quite a bit with those two. Yeah, Book is coming to sort of a breaking point mm. in his grief. Yeah. And I think that I think it was really interesting to see him reaching out to get help in that process and being resistant to it at first. Yeah. Yeah. Who understands grief better than uh, the doctor who literally died? Yeah. <laughs> and came, yeah. came back. So, I mean, because I know what the book said, look at the end, he said something effective. Do you want to talk about it? And he says one day. Yeah. Like, and that's not the same as losing the whole planet, but boy, oh boy, it's that's that's a heck of a story to tell. Oh, yeah. I died and I was reconstituted in another universe and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I Another note I wrote was, and Alan, you talked about all the other ancillary people don't get used a lot. I absolutely loved the doctor in this episode. And I yes. think they need to do more of that with him. The actor is a very calm and strong presence. Yeah, I loved him. I loved him in this episode. Yeah. It's like what Troy would do or what McCoy would do when people come to talk to him. I want to see more of that. Yeah. Why did we ever more. get a Troy episode like this? Hmm. Exactly. That drives me bananas. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like Culber as the therapist or counselor. Me too. I, me I, I, too. I think that's a great use of him. Absolutely. Yeah, he just he just makes you feel at ease with yourself, kind of like flocks, but in a different yeah. way. I always love flocks. I did. Yeah, too. Culver, and he and it, and it and it felt it felt organic and real yes. in a way that sometimes these don't. It really felt like people who knew each other really working with it. I I thought it was a great scene. I was impressed with the writing and the acting in that scene. You know what's what's interesting? Speaking of Culver, um, at the beginning of the episode tonight, I mentioned that this was episode two in a row where you literally got nothing at all from the bridge crew. Mm-hmm. Right. But I didn't, I did, I was so engrossed in all of these plot lines that I didn't notice until the very end of the episode in the hugging scene that there was also <laughs> no Stamets. Yep. Nothing, oh, wow. Nothing and they, they opened it like there was going to be a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. And nothing. Uh, so it's really interesting. This is how they're going to stretch this, you know, spatial anomalies thing out for an entire season is by having these weeks where you they're not going to spend the whole episode being under attack by the anomaly or trying to figure out the anomaly, but all the other stuff that goes on around it. And yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. And I, and I think that's fine. You know, that yeah, 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 absolutely. I, w- I would rather have him off for a week than standing around with nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, which unfortunately the bridge crew has to do a lot, but I guess as well, I mean, they're producing this during the pandemic. So you, do you want a bridge full of people who have one line each or just skip the bridge scene? You know? Yeah. But I want some payoff from this. I want to get yeah. an episode where they are featured more than they normally uh, are. Oh yeah. yeah. Me too. Me too. Just as a, just as a balance. I agree. Um, Actually what you said about the anomaly in some weird way, as I was watching this and we think about last week's episode, I almost would wonder if they could have done something without even having this anomaly because it's not only was it not central, but it was so far in the background. I didn't even think about it until they had to bring it up again. Mm-hmm. Right. So <laughs> it, it almost doesn't seem like a big threat, even though it is, you know what I mean? It's just, well, it's, it's just, it's weird. It, it'll it's, ramp yeah. up as the season. It'll ramp up. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It will, it'll be end of the world by the time we get to the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah, kind of right. throwing me off balance a little bit. I know some people who talk about Deep Space Nine, which I just adore, but every now and then toward the end, they threw in some episodes in Deep Space Nine in the last season where people will go, 
that was a great episode, but there's war going on. And it just, it kind of <laughs> seemed like it was, it was weirdly placed. And I almost want to say, I don't even need that, that yeah. universe ending event to, to tell a good show. No, 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 definitely not. Yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I'm really excited to get to the, the next plot line. Yeah. And that is Tilly. Yes. Oh. They have done the thing with Tilly that I, we were hoping was going to happen with Saru with him going off the ship and into a new role. Right. And out of nowhere, yeah, we get Tilly going out. Oh, okay. First of all, I absolutely loved that plot thread. Yeah. It was very classic Star Trek. Oh, yeah. The shuttlecraft with the inexperienced crew uh, gets damaged get stranded and they have to figure out how to survive. They have to figure out how to get rescued. Yep. And the, the one who's not used to being in command has to figure out how to be in command and how to wrangle these people. I just thought it was mm -hmm. fantastic. And neither of the plots that we got this week, either on Navarre or on the shuttle are particularly novel. They're just sort of stock standard Star Trek plots, but they're yeah, more absolutely. about the characters. Exactly. You know? I mean, if you've seen right. the Galileo seven or the, the ascent, yeah, yes. you know, this yes. is going to be mind blowing to you, but um, it I, it's a really great way to get Tilly in a position of being in command again without putting her back on the bridge. Exactly. And, and letting her be that mentor. She was a couple episodes to Adira. I agree. And Charles, mm -hmm. what was that? What was that awful next generation episode where Wesley Crusher had to test for Starfleet in, in season one? Yeah, it's oh, not a bad that. episode. I love that episode, <laughs> dude. Uh, but you remember there was a scene where they they manufactured this crisis, and it was all a test. It was a psychological oh, yeah. test. Oh yeah, yeah. And the reason I say that is when you were saying this, it's it's a it's an incredibly normal and it, well, you know, it's, it's an oft used thing. I literally wrote in my notes: Is this a test or is this a holographic simulation? Mm -hmm. I didn't know. And one of the cadets actually said, "This is a <laughs> yeah. test, right? This is a holographic simulation." She's like, nah, we're about to die, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly was expecting something like a, you know, akin to Kirk opening. Okay, stop. And the door opens and he walks in. And I, oh, no, this is real. This is actually happening. Especially with the Admiral <laughs> being conspicuously absent. That, right. you know, that he's like, you know, um, he's <laughs> yeah. going to step out at the end. And, <laughs> you know, but no, it yeah. didn't, which was, which was nice. And one and, thing I had to say, I'm sorry, real quick call to you, Alan, was there was one scene, I hate, they did it again, they stopped and they started talking and they did a team building. I thought about Alan. But I didn't mind it. It, it okay. worked in this episode. Um, yes, there are monsters that are about to eat you, but they're, <laughs> but they're not an immediate threat. You are not in the very center of an active battle scene. So <laughs> okay. uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give them a pass on that one. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but you, you know, you mentioned uh, this being a sort of like a, a, a traditional Trek mm -hmm. theme. Right. And right. I think it's just like in season two, um, the second episode, new Eden, mm -hmm. where they're on an away mission and it's a, and it's a, you know, I hate to use the word primitive, but it's a more primitive settlement and they're having to blend in. That's a traditional one too. The yeah. thing that makes it cool mm -hmm. in discovery is that that's not what you normally get. Right. And when you right. do see this kind of really solid traditional Star Trek kind of storytelling, it just, it just excites me. Oh yeah. Me too. So I, I and plus that shuttlecraft is freaking cool looking. And I was so thrilled because Dis Discovery has they have reused assets before that don't really work. 
You know, you're like, mm-hmm. well, uh, just was it last week? They were reusing the discovery interiors for a ship in the 32nd century. Um, or, right. you know, they've reused discovery shuttles on Picard, which feel out of place to me. Mm. But so I was so thrilled. They, they, they have brand new shuttles. They're 32nd yeah. century shuttles. I was, I thought they looked great. They are so cool looking. Yeah. Love them. So, yeah, I mean, uh, having Tilly go off on this new adventure, this new being put in this new role, I am so excited about. Mm hmm. I think that there's just an incredible amount of potential for that character. Yeah. Is, is, is it Mary Weissman? Is, mm-hmm. um, yes. is, is she pregnant in real life? I think she was last year. I don't know if oh, she's currently pregnant or not. Uh, I didn't know if this had anything to do with that at all. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if, they, if that was part of the, of the plot or not the change for ah. this. Uh, yeah, I didn't know if she was going to disappear from the scene for a little while. They want to get her where she wasn't in as much. Yeah, she mentioned on the ready room that she's doing a play in New York. Mm. I don't know which one came first, whether she was freed right. up from Discovery, so she got a play or vice versa. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also it occurred to me, too, that, I mean, Alex Kurtzman, just as recently as Star Trek Day on September 8th, was just openly talking about they're developing a Starfleet Academy series. I was totally waiting oh, for them true. to announce that in the ready so, room. Like, uh, hey, guess like, what, guys? How cool would it be if they're spinning her off to be the lead? Of like the instructor yeah. of, I would so watch that. Oh, huh. in a heartbeat! I would never have thought of an academy show being a thirty-second century show, but I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I, I think. I mean, just from what they showed us this week, I think that that'd be a yep. possibility at least. Now, absolutely, I might be entirely wrong. This is speculation, but it's 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 a thought. But so, do when do we think Tilly's coming back? I think we'll be seeing her at least in little scenes every week. Yeah. yeah, with with, you know, the occasional, you know, big story thread in an episode that centers around her, mm. uh, her classes, her teaching or whatever. I think we'll be seeing her hopefully on a regular basis. I don't think we won't see her. Yeah. Do you think she'll come back to Discovery full time or do you be recurring? Maybe. I don't know. I think recurring. Yeah. I, I mean, don't, I'm I don't sure think that... she's going to come back to Discovery full time. No, but maybe by the end of the season when they need help figuring out the thing. Yeah, could be her and her cadets could. <laughs> could pull a Riker at the end of the exactly. season. Come save exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They, they will rope in her and her students. That's yeah. what I think. But we're not sure why the, the real life actress would not would, would have a reduced role. If it's like they're working on another series or theater or just personal life. No, stuff. I don't think we have any answers to that so far. No. Hmm. Interesting. Now she, she Tilly mentioned that getting her Lieutenant Pips was the worst day of her life. And yeah. she gave some reasons for that involving her mother. But I was wondering did Saru ruin the captain's chair for her by promoting her before she was ready? Yes. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think it, cause I think it made her reassess herself in a way she probably didn't need yeah. to reassess herself. And yeah, there's still a path to get to that chair. So right. I, I do. And there's a that. reason there's that path. And she Absolutely. shouldn't have had to reassess herself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, she I went from so. ensign to Lieutenant and first officer. And then yeah. shortly after that, you know, the ship was captured under her on her watch. Um, so I was yeah. wondering if that yeah. sh- had shaken her. I mean, she didn't give that specifically as a reason, but I was wondering if that had a big impact on her deciding this wasn't for her. I don't see how it couldn't have had. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I think there's more to uncover in that storyline. Mm. Agree. Okay. So what have we missed out of this episode so far? Well, uh, Gray and... Uh, well, mainly Gray, because yeah. Adira goes yeah. off with Tilly, but we did miss Gray. And I want to say, I feel like last week in our show, I <laughs> unintentionally kind of like put the kibosh on talking about the, the Gray storyline 
in last week's episode, and I totally did not mean to do that. <laughs> so I want to make sure we get to Gray this episode. Yeah, I like I like I like Gray. He didn't have a whole lot to do. He sort of was there for Adira. Yeah, I like, yeah. I like his new look. He's got some new style already. Yeah, yeah. That seems very quick, yeah. and it's and it's very uh, Ian Alexander's real life look. And I don't know yeah. if that's because they're incorporating his real life look or if they did this for the show and he's like, dude, I like this. Yeah. I don't know. So, but, but it's interesting that he's immediately gone to a completely different mm-hmm. and, and he, the character right. has gone to a completely different look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'll be interested to see gray. I mean, he, he mentioned this week that he's going off to make friends and so forth, but I'm yeah, interested yeah. to see that happen. I would like to see, gray's interactions you know and and Mm -hmm. if if he has any adjustment period to being corporeal again yeah i mean it's interesting that they kind of went into adira's adjustment to not having gray Mm -hmm. in their head you know um and and you know they mentioned how difficult it is to go off and make friends and they were able to do that because of gray's presence in their head right um so it's going to be interesting to see the other side of that yeah. To see how Gray adjusts to having his own life, to not being anchored to this one person. And is there going to be a rift in their friendship? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it certainly changes things when it Gray does. can talk to other people and doesn't have to hang out with you. You know, right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What is, Gray's, what is Gray's expertise, especially? I forget. Did they ever say? Well, he's Gray a cellist. Yeah. <laughs> Plays a cello. Yeah. So would Gray have a function on the ship? Would, oh, Gray, yeah. what? Would, Gray have, would Gray have a function on the ship as part of the crew in any shape, form, or fashion? Well, I mean, Book does, so why can't Gray? <laughs> yeah, but Book's not that cool ship. Yeah, but... I mean, like, is, yeah, is Gray a science specialist or a botanist or anything like that? Cause cyberneticist? I, I didn't know what to the what we're saying is, what will they end up having Gray do if Gray stays on the ship? It would be great if Gray was a chief engineer, and then we could have a chief engineer on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow i just want to love that <laughs> <laughs> i just wonder if one day we'll see gray in a galley like neelix with a little chef boy id hat on serving up food <laughs> <laughs> or gray well, you know what, though, there is a bar now <laughs> on discovery i've noticed this season so maybe yeah. gray will work in the bar yep <laughs> yep that, exactly. that bar is pretty cool there's a fireplace in it you gotta love a bar with a fireplace yeah Heck yeah yeah that's true yeah, I did get a chuckle when the when they were first get, going on the mission, and Adira, who was nervous and maybe just a little bit having kind of like Wesley Crusher having gone through the thing, and Adira was basically like, "I thought I was basically going to help you shepherd these other cadets." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. was like, "Nah, you need to you need to act like you're a cadet too." And, and Graves, I mean, Adira was like, "Wait, wait, what?" Yeah. It's almost like <laughs> Adira was being demoted or something like that. Which I thought yeah, that was funny. <laughs> so that's fair to me. Adira went straight from a 16 year old to an ensign. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, being a cadet for a mission doesn't seem out, out of line. Right. Yeah. I thought so too. Exactly. And I liked the, I liked the cadet characters. They did a pretty good job with them. I really enjoyed them. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. were, they were for the little bit of time. They, the characters were fairly well developed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we know Ooh. much about who Sasha is. I would like to have seen more of her, but you know, you can only get so much in that, you know, when you're only carving out one fourth of an overall episode, we, I, I'm pretty satisfied with what we did get. That was the girl from Titan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they were pretty representative of where the Federation's at right now, where they're right. very distrusting of one another and not accustomed to working together, which I right. thought worked pretty well. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Because Sasha literally said that she'd never even seen in a non-human before she entered Starfleet, and that right. is right. definitely wild. Yeah. Um, was was that one dude? Was he? What was? Was he not? He was a an Nausicaan. Was he was an Nausicaan? No, he was a Tellarite. Was he? That's yeah, not he, a very good Tellarite. That's the Discovery Tellarite. Like yeah, Discovery Tellarites look like that. Ew. Why? <laughs> yeah, they're more warthog. <laughs> okay, I couldn't tell they have, because they have the tusks. He, yeah, I saw the tusk, and then I thought, well, I, I even thought it's a Tellarite, but it didn't quite look like a Tellarite. I don't know. I mean, a thousand years, I don't think you'd have that much change well, with some of these races. Even so, the, I mean, if, if you watch the short trek with mud, that Tellarite mm -hmm. looks pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. Very, very okay. warthoggy on Discovery. Huh. Interesting. I don't know. It didn't look like a, <laughs> it didn't look like a Tellarite, and it didn't look like a warthog. But what do I know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. What do I know? Yeah, I, I think I think I think this is going to be one of those things I've seen I've seen people like get into almost come to verbal blows online about the Ferengi and all these people and some people are saying some people are going dude it's been a thousand years people change and other people are like nobody no race changes that quickly in only a thousand years unless no. they're interbreeding like crazy so that's why I'm just a little confused he, about yeah. some of the changes. He, in he just didn't seem bulky enough to be a tell exactly. Right. Well, I think he was because yeah, he, he was young. That's my thought. Well, so is <laughs> so is Jankum Pog. Jacob Pog looks less like a Tellerite. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I agree with you there. <laughs> Overall, I liked it. It was weird because the last couple of episodes they almost seem like in they seem like standalone episodes almost, where we're just getting to know people. And I really, I I kind of don't care about the galaxy extinction event that they talk about they can actually get rid no. of that to me yeah. and we can just go another route but like you said charles it'll come back and it'll be a real big deal um it's just weird to me that they make it recede in the background they introduce it as this you know end of all life and then it's receding in the background which is weird to me I'm, I'm not sure what they're doing here well they're spacing it out they got a 13 episodes to deal mm. with it so maybe maybe it's going to be pushed into the background and someone else is going to solve it, and it's going to be okay. Whatever we solved this, it, it was solved. Let's go on with this next story. That would be awesome. This big life-ending thing, and it just no. We solved it. We're good. Maybe Tilly will solve it off screen. Yeah. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's funny. Can you see the? Or it'll just like disappear. It? Yeah, I can see the ship speeding toward it. Red alert, and it just disappears. <laughs> that's it. Oh, okay. I can. Back I, I'm going to say that I think this is my favorite one so far this season. Agreed. Yeah, I thought this was really, really enjoyed it. And very Star yeah, Trek same here, which I like. Very Star Trekky, exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I all all of the oh no, the world is ending episodes um, from the, uh, the last couple of episodes of Discovery, and then the last season of Discovery. I was getting a little tiring, so I'm glad there yeah. was like a Star Trek story. Yes, yeah, this one agreed. I would be fine with them just flying around and solving problems at planets. Yes. I mean, the rebuilding of the Federation could easily be the story of yeah. the season. You yes. don't need no. You don't need the the flux from Doctor Who in your season. <laughs> to, you know, I I just I don't know. I think the, agree. I think the Navarre storyline tonight really shows where that this show's strength could be. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Well, Alan, where can people find more of you on the internet? I am the internet. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me on the Hulanta um, page and group, and you can find the Cosmic Press page as well. Okay. 
And how about you, Keith? You can find me on Instagram and now Twitter and on the ESO Network Facebook groups. Awesome. And um, Veronica, you and I actually have a live show as people listening to this. It'll be coming up this coming Saturday. Yeah. At the, is it the Village Theater mm-hmm. in Atlanta? That's October the, I mean, just October, December the 28th. No, 18th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's Saturday's date? Jump in here, Veronica. Help me it out. Is right. Yeah. The this, <laughs> is it next Saturday? Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's the coming Saturday at, as of when this episode yeah, comes as out. Yeah, Monday when this comes out, it'll be this coming Saturday, the 18th at okay. the Village Theater at the Holiday Puck and Fuppet Show. We'll be doing a, a routine there for that again this year. This will be Very our nice. nine years since we started doing, uh, since we started performing together with puppets. So yeah, uh, wow. it's pretty exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. That is great. And Franca, do you have a closing for us this week? <laughs> Wow, what was that? A, that was Murph. Hey, someone got it. <laughs> that was very good, Veronica. That was very good. Thanks. I didn't have to think of anything to say. I just had to make noise. Right. I was very proud of myself for thinking of that. I already told her it can't be Murph every week. No. <laughs> I planned this one in everything. Very good. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.